Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. News team, assemble! And bigger than ever, it's the unofficial 40 from Soonerscoop.com. Now, here's the entire Soonerscoop crew, Carrie, Josh, Eddie, and Bob. All right, we are back. It is a special edition, the Nebraska Cornhusker edition of the unofficial 40 podcast. Uh, Looking live from Norman, Oklahoma, where I was uh, just by the stadium yesterday and saw a big noon kickoff setting up. It looked like they were going to be set up uh, just north of the stadium on the lawn there between uh, the McCaslin Fieldhouse and uh, in OU. So uh, should be an interesting day uh, on Saturday. Uh, very early game, 11 a.m., of course, uh, because it is part of big noon kickoff. And we welcome in the rest of the crew, Eddie Radosevich. Uh, joins us uh, with a spanky new microphone, and Josh McQuiston is here as well. Good, uh, good afternoon, guys. Or hello, hello, evening hello. or morning, whatever it is where you're listening. You know, I am nine minutes afternoon. I, I'm just excited for everybody. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if it doesn't come out on Wednesday afternoon, my DMs on Twitter blow up. Like everybody's like, "When's the pod? When's it coming? Is it here yet?" It's I a love good it. Problem to, it's, yeah. a, it's a good, like, pestering problem to have, though, isn't it? I'll take sure. it. Sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, no. It'd be much worse if everybody was like, oh, okay, you guys finally recorded that. Cool. I'll get around to it. Well, we did. I mean, we, we're, we're down a man today. Bob is uh, dealing with uh, not COVID, but uh, sickness in the family. So he's, uh, uh, he, not, he's not sick, I don't believe. Not yet, anyway. Um, uh, but so he's out today and he'll be back. Um, but uh, unfortunately, Bob took a hit. Uh, I will say this, guys. I kind of came to terms with this this morning. Uh, and I think this is the way to put it. I, early in the week, I rebelled against the thought of asking the players about the Nebraska series. And here's kind of where I am today. I just feel like, you know what? There's so few fa- things for the fans anymore Um that this to me is you just have to think of it like this is for the fans this is for the people that grew up watching OU Nebraska uh this is for the people that loved this rivalry and loved what it represented in, in the games that they saw growing up uh because it's not for the players they don't know anything about this series except what they've been shown and it's even the fact like it's almost like Lincoln Riley feels um uh it's like he's coerced, basically, into trying to make the players understand how great this rivalry once was. By you know, he's talking this week about uh, the videos that he showed them, and uh, you know, it, it, and he was like, "I basically said I don't have all day to sit here and give these guys a history lesson. We got to play a football game. That's the most important thing." Uh, but it's just okay for, for the fans to have something that they're geeked about, even if the players aren't. 
You know what I think would have been cool? Because I was listening to the post game when you guys were talking about that. And I thought the the thing that would have been cool this week is if they would have had, you know, and I, I can't, I don't know what Nebraska's coaching access is like, but if if Oklahoma had let like Kill Gundy come out and talk, you know, like so you could ask someone who really does have some relationship to that rivalry and some, you know, some understanding of what that game used to mean. I think that could have been pretty cool. Like that could have been a cool angle to kind of go into. That would have been awesome. I, I, I definitely, th- and I'm kind of like you guys. Like, I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe at the, at the, like, even when we were doing the podcast uh, or the post game podcast at the end of the week or at uh, last Saturday, I don't know if I, it had fully hit me yet, but I think with like, you know, some of the stuff that uh, Sooner Sports has put out, some of the stuff that Nebraska's put out, uh, I'm kind of excited for this game. And I think that, you know, it, maybe it is a little bit of nostalgia having been in, uh, the stadium in 2000, which is obviously, you know, probably not what a lot of people go back and think of of the OU Nebraska rivalry. But for me, that's like kind of where it starts. And, you know, obviously like the new era of OU football and hearing Bob talk about it and uh, just, you know, hearing some of the, the older players talk about the rivalry, even going back all the way into the 70s and even the 60s. Uh, and then obviously all the you know statistics that have come out, uh, the article that Carrie that you tweeted out from the L.A. Times. Uh, back in 87. I mean, that was the year I was literally born. So uh, it's been pretty cool. And I, I think that just kind of as an appreciation of like the historical marker between these two programs and how dominant they were, uh, you know, from the 70s into the middle 80s even. Uh, and then even further for Nebraska, obviously, into the uh, middle of the 90s. It's just like this is a big deal. And I, I, I appreciate it. And almost like to the extent of Watching the 71 game, which, you know, I have a little bit of a, I guess, connection with, with my uncle have been playing in the game. It's, it's kind of like one of those deals. It's like, it's, I don't think that I appreciate enough being able to go down there and cover games at OU and realize, I don't know, I guess this sounds very old in a way, but to realize like, holy shit, it's like that game was played on this field basically, or this patch of grass 50 years ago, even though. Everything around the stadium is completely different than what it was in 1971. You know, it, it's it is a reminder that you know there has not been a lot of in conference traditions built uh, over the last decade uh, plus. Because, sure. I mean, you think about those Nebraska games; those were games that that made you. And, and there's so much talk. The SEC is so overwhelming, but like those Nebraska games. Uh, made everyone take notice of of the Big 8 conference back then. I mean, that was the after Thanksgiving game that everybody watched. I was talking to one of my radio partners who, you know, grew up in Baltimore and he was like, "We never watched college football, but when that game came on every year, we noticed it. We watched it. Like it it was something that was bigger than OU, bigger than Nebraska. It was college football. And you've had some good OU Texas games over the years. But since 05, you know, Texas really hasn't been uh, in the national spotlight. I mean, a little bit here and there. And you've had probably the best set of Bedlam games in its history, the series history, even though it's still lopsided. But nothing, you know, nothing like what OU and Nebraska were in the 70s and then the 80s. Uh, and, you know, there a couple of years in the 2000s. Uh, so, I mean, this really reminds you, uh, you know, I think the college football playoff, you think about the Georgia game, that's probably the biggest game that's happened uh, between OU and an opponent since since the Nebraska games and, and a Texas game here or there. It's yeah, just I, crazy to... 
Go ahead, uh, Josh. N- no, I mean, I, I, again, for the people, like, and I know we've got a lot of young listeners that they're like, what? It just doesn't make any sense for them. I remember Nebraska football is literally my first memory of football, and it was, the, and I've told the story before on the pod. It was the '90 game when Mickey Joseph slid into the bench and broke his leg. Yeah, and I remember running around my house cheering because a, I'm I'm like eight. I had no context that like this is a serious thing. You don't you don't cheer for that shit. But at the same time, like. That was what a big deal Nebraska OU was. Like, it meant, like, I was a little kid. I didn't know anything, but I knew that their quarterback being out was a good thing for Oklahoma. So, like, I, I had that sort of view. I mean, that's, that's what that used to be. I was a little kid that could have been playing outside or doing anything. But, you know, on a November afternoon, I'm sitting there watching football with my dad. Well, Josh, remember, it wasn't just Oklahoma, but remember the battles that Kansas State had with Nebraska, mm-hmm. uh, Missouri, Colorado. I mean, yeah, Colorado. Uh, it, it was, but I mean, you think about that, like Bob Stoops, pretty much. Uh, um, you know what's the what's what's the term they talk about? Teeth, uh, cut his teeth uh, mm-hmm. in big time football, trying to stop that Nebraska offense, and I mean, uh, just. He and Brent Venables and Mike Stoops, like that was how they came up in this game and made their name, is you know getting to the point where they could beat that Nebraska juggernaut, uh, and it was always fun watching those two play because it was a it was a just a knockdown dragout, uh, and it was a game that OU couldn't compete in, but but Kansas State sort of could. Yeah, the the era I grew up in, I remember that two thousand game. Feeling as soon as Nebraska went up fourteen nothing, you're like, oh shit! It, like it's it's not real. Like Oklahoma's not what we thought they were, and they're they're about to get pummeled again by Nebraska. And then that was that was the moment when I feel like the two programs just shifted their direction was in that game. Now I know you know next year Oklahoma lost to Nebraska in that crazy game that you guys talked about in the pod in the post game pod, but it, it's just one of those memories i remember like being there and there you know we're having a watch party i was you know i was a student at ou uh, that year that's my freshman year and we're all watching the game and there was all this excitement and then it was just like you said oh the nebraska juggernauts here they're just going to slap ou around and you know because i had never grown up in a world where nebraska wasn't the king of the hill that's all i'd ever known and so i i just there was this expectancy that it was going to go badly. As soon as Oklahoma started to hit the skids, they were in huge trouble. This week has really kind of emphasized the idea, too, of just how far this whole thing has fallen for Nebraska. And I know that we're going to get into the game and everything like that, but it's just like you look at the game notes or you look at, you know, like that article that uh, you tweeted out, Kerry, and 40, I think it was 40 of 42 years, OU or Nebraska ended up winning the conference. Yeah. I with mean, the winner of that game. Like, that's just insane to me. And then and you, then, look and, at, you know I th- I would say in '87 Colorado was just coming up, so they were about to start winning. Sure. Um, well, look at look at 1971. The top three in the AP poll at the end of the year, Nebraska obviously won. OU number two, and I think a lot of people and myself included didn't realize Colorado was number three in '71. In '71, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like the Big Eight had, you know, terrible teams throughout that time. I mean, you had the Barry Sanders, Oklahoma State teams. Uh, you know, then, you know, you had, and I'm just talking about as a league, as a conference, but Colorado was really good at one point. Sure. When Nebraska, I mean, I remember, you know, Nebraska 
kind of OU was their measuring stick, but then Oklahoma State, when they had Mike Gundy and, and Barry Sanders and Hartley Dykes, like everybody's like, oh my God, could this OSU team get Nebraska? And Nebraska, I remember Nebraska came in there and just stuck it to them. And you're like, oh, no, well, they're not on Nebraska's level. Like it's yeah. just, it, it's weird to look at it now because it's looked at as basically OU and everybody else in the Big 12. Uh, but you didn't have, you know, the the overwhelming SEC like you do now. Uh, it was more like it was without the, like if you took the SEC out of the equation, it was, and you're just talking about the Big 12, the Pac-12, the Big 10, the ACC. It, I mean, it, it just had, you had room to, to, to be great uh, in the Big 8. And a lot of teams could beat just about everybody from that league. It's it's also amazing just to look at the the run of players that Nebraska had. I mean, obviously, you know, before seventy one, and then you get to seventy one, and you look at the guys that were on that team, and then even into, uh, you know, the mid nineties with you know, or the eighties or the nineties with Tommy Frazier and Eric Crouch and Scott Frost. Obviously, who's going to be there in Norman on Saturday? It's just, it's uh, it's wild how far this thing has come from nineteen sixty nine to two thousand one. OU Nebraska, they played thirty two times. Nebraska was ranked in all of them. They're 12th or higher for 31 of the 32 games. This week, and this is from uh, uh, the Bear from ESPN, this is the fourth time in 42 games Nebraska will be a 20-point-plus underdog. In the previous 499 games, Nebraska was a 20-point dog four times. Wow. You know, guys, I don't know about for you. I mean, I guess we can kind of move into this game a little bit. Does it feel almost like this is the first real week? Because I find myself at certain points in the week almost having the conversation of, well, if this happened and this went this way for Nebraska, maybe this is a little more interesting than we thought it was going to be. Like, I, I keep, like, the previous two, like Western Carolina, of course, no. But Tulane, I, I never could get it to a point where, okay, if this happened and this happened, maybe it's interesting in the fourth quarter. Now, obviously, it ended up being that way anyway. But Nebraska, like, there's enough talent there. Adrian Martinez is dangerous enough that if he got going, maybe something could happen. But do you, Let me ask you this. Do you this really think real. that Adrian Martinez is going to come on the road in this environment and, and be an accurate thrower? Do I, I think he I mean, will? No. Yes. Do I think that Adrian Martinez is the type of quarterback that Oklahoma has had problems with before? Yes. But here's the thing, though. For me, Nebraska came out of the shoots and lost to Illinois. Sure. Have you seen what Illinois has done since? Oh, they've, they've been lost, terrible. They lost to UTSA. Right. They lost again last week. To, they lost, they, lose to they last got week. killed by Virginia last week, That's 42 to That's 14. I mean... Yeah, I, I think this Nebraska team could be historically bad for them. I the the part where I struggle just a little, and it's what I keep coming back to. I'm not sure. I think the Nebraska defense might be okay, pretty maybe maybe bordering on good. Just kind of, I, I'm not sure about that part. The only problem I have is their weakness against Illinois, which is the only game that I will even pretend I saw anything meaningful of, was they couldn't stop the run. Is Oklahoma able to take advantage of that? Like, sure. I think so. Well, they couldn't I, pressure the quarterback either, the backup no. quarterback that was oh, playing. I, I, if Spencer Rattler throws for less than 350, I'll be stunned. I mean, they. I, I, watched, I was watching that second half, and it was just like, 
they snapped the ball and the defensive lineman just stood there. There was absolutely no pressure. Uh, and it was almost like they had just stopped trying. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's been the area where OU's offensive line has played pretty well. The pass protection's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, you have to consider who the they play. That matters. Sure. But at the same but time, I think Tulane the, the had some decent guys questionable. Up, up front. Yeah. They had some big linebackers, and they had some some dudes um, that you know didn't look like stiffs. No, no. The, I mean, it, it it just seems like at the end of the day, this is a fantastic test to see where this Oklahoma team is. I you can't take anything out of last week. But if you can take anything going into this week, it's I think you want to be able to sit there at the end of Saturday and say they dominated and looked like a team that is expected to compete for a national championship. And I just don't know if you can say that right now because of the only sample size that we have is just the shit show that was the second half against Tulane. This feels like the game, like, you know, like every fight movie that's ever existed, like a guy kind of comes, he starts rolling his shoulders, and he's moving his neck around, like he's getting ready to roll. Like that's what this feels like this game should be for OU. Like we're going to come out, just beat the bejesus out of Nebraska, and then show the world, okay, this is what we are. This is who this we is are. This is really who we are. Yeah. And, and yes. I like, do, this I, is your moment. I do not begrudge any of the fans that would love to see OU go like, you know, 77 nothing against Nebraska. I mean, I understand some of some of the OU fan base deserves that. Some of them went through hell with this Nebraska team and Tom Osborne at the end. I mean, and it wasn't even it wasn't any prettier with Frank Solich when, you know, they're throwing uh uh, Seth Luttrell and uh, T.J. Thatcher out there at, at running back. I mean, uh, I, I I feel for you guys, and and I won't begrudge you if uh, OU beats down Nebraska. But yeah, I would kind of like to see a little bit of a game. And I I think this too, guys. It's just like the West Carolina game, Western Carolina game. This team needs to face a little adversity on both sides of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Just it, going out there and just. Killing somebody probably is not what they need right now. I, think I don't it, know that it's the it, best it, it, recipe. It could work both ways, though, couldn't it? Because if you go out and kill somebody and you play four quarters, I think that that's kind of a win just with the mantra that has become out of the uh, OU locker room over the last two weeks of a focus on finishing, a focus on playing four quarters, a focus on being able to put the foot down on a throat when you have the opportunity. OU needs a test. Nebraska isn't good enough that that should be the test. Like, I agree with your premise, Kerry, but, like, you need a team that's worthy of pushing Oklahoma, not like we played down to their level right. and got tested. But I, I agree. I look, this team needs to be pushed by somebody. It could almost work in the in the opposite direction, too. If this team is pushed by a Nebraska, like, at the end of the day, OU's still a 22-and-a-half-point favorite. Dude, but I, just... I did, like, I'm kind of like you, Josh. Like, I walked out of uh, Tuesday's press conference and – I thought there were some pretty notable things said by Alex Grinch. I mean, he basically challenged his starting defense to just flat out be better. He named names, and I thought that that was kind of interesting, just in the fact that, you know, they need to make a jump. If if this is a defensive line that wants to be called one of the best in the country, you need to see guys like Isaiah Thomas, Perry on Winfrey, Isaiah Coe, Joshua Ellison. Those guys need to be really good, and they can get after Adrian Martinez. What? Where do you guys – there were some people that were mad about him calling out people by name. I, I'm i all for that. Like, I, I'm an accountability Love person. It. Like, you you don't do the job, you hear about it. Like, I'm fine with that. Now, at the same time, if that guy plays like a monster, say he played like a monster. But it feels like – you know, and again, I hate that it always comes back to this, but under the 
under previous regimes, there was a, that guy doesn't hold anybody accountable, and he just right. does half speak and all this stuff. But then when you get what you were asking for, you don't like that either. Like, you, you got it. I mean, this is, it's this is how you play soft. Yeah. It's what does, it is. Does, didn't, didn't does you Nick think Saban give a shit if he though? upsets a starter? No, he just he 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 will just replace your ass. He let that he let one of the best tight ends in the country sit his ass out basically because he wasn't doing the things in practice that he should have been doing. Like, well, and it's like he, it's like with any job, you want to know what your expectations are. Like, what if I do this? Does it result in this? Like, you yep. want to you want to have some you know you want you are expected to be held accountable. At the same time, you have to be told what is and is not, uh, you know, performance related as it, you know, relates to you keeping your job. So it's, it's not, it's an adult decision. It's an adult situation. It's not peewee anymore. I mean, this is a, this is a job for these guys. These guys, uh, well, they can get paid for this job now. They're going, you know, all of these guys want to be in the NFL making money. Uh, they're one step away from being professional. So there's no problem. I have no problems with Alex Grinch naming names. And I thought a bunch of what he said was very calculated. Notice the names that he said. Those are all guys that have played a ton of football down there. Whether it be, and David Awegbu might be a bad example, but Deshaun White, Perron Winfrey. Like, it's guys that he knows. He's kind of poking the bear a little bit, I thought. And, yeah, and I think, I think it's a pretty good setup because a week ago, I don't think anybody on that defense was, ha- was happy with the number of reps that they got. They wanted more. Um so they're they're a little bit, you know, um, I, they're antsy. They want to get out there and play, and then he's just poking them. I I, I thought Again. I thought it was almost a little bit genius. Now, I mean. Maybe we sit here and we're talking about Oklahoma going out and playing like they did in the second half again, and it looks like shit. And then you really got problems. But I think that I don't know. It, something tells me that this group's going to respond in the way that Alex Grinch intended when he said what he said on Tuesday. I'm not saying it was connected to this idea because I mean, every people thinking like, "Oh, Lincoln Riley's got to think about what Nick Saban does." No, he's got to be who he is. Like that—that's that's crazy. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you can learn from other guys, but at the end of the day, you have to coach in the way you're comfortable. And the same thing for Alex Grinch. He's not doing this because it reminds me of something Nick Saban does. But this is the shit Nick Saban does where he finds a new motivation. Someone sliding you. Someone doesn't think enough of you. Even if it's Nick Saban himself, someone doesn't think you did your job to the ability that you should be doing it. And I, like I said, I, I think that's fine because coming off 76 to nothing, how easy is it to be like, oh, yeah, we, we, we ride the ship now. We got this all figured out. Like that's a super easy place to fall into, even though those guys know that they were – far more talented than who they were playing, but they're college guys. I mean, it, it's just easy. So for him to find a new stressor, a new motivator to push them against a Nebraska squad that carries some name cachet, but doesn't excite these kids. Cause like we've talked about already in the pod, most of them don't remember Nebraska being relevant. Sure. Well, like you I, said, I, this is, this is, this is a, a coaching staff that knows, uh, they did not do a good job motivate, motivating them in the opening week. Uh, and they're trying to push some buttons. They're trying to figure I mean, I, by all accounts, they had a really difficult camp. They were pushed really hard. Uh, but now I think they're they're like, okay, we tried the physical stuff. Now we're going to the mental side of things, and we're going to screw with people and try and get the best out of them. 
can we insert the Crash Davis, their kids scare them, like little audio <laughs> yeah. right here? I, I Yeah, I have that somewhere, but I yeah, I'm not going back into editing. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we have already had people tell me that we, Eddie and I and you, cannot drop F-bombs in the pod because they don't want you doing any post-editing. Try my hardest. It's not that I, difficult. I told them. It's really not that difficult. No. You can say excited. It's okay to say Oh, no. Here we go. Might not even be a curse word. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, I, anyway. I don't know about you guys either, too. And I was talking to my dad about this. But, like, usually I'll see people trying to get rid of tickets and stuff like that. And maybe it's because of the high price on the, uh, the face value of the ticket. But it seems like this is a game that... There are a lot of people excited about it. Like there is a there is a certain buzz in the air. And I don't know, maybe I just it's one of those things that you tell yourself and then you start believing it more than it really is. But I feel like there is a lot of excitement in the air for a game that is a 22 and a half point underdog. I think it's just the excitement of getting to see Nebraska on the field again. I mean, sure. there, there's a lot At of the people end of the day. They still are it. a Big yeah. Ten team coming to Norman, though. Like That doesn't happen a ton. Yeah, replace it. Like, say it's like Tennessee. That's a reasonable comparison. Big program, not really been there lately. But even remove the Josh Heupel storyline, which everybody would beat the bejesus out of. But it is, you know, it's a big name program. You never know. Oh, God. That's so bad. It's so, so bad. (laughs) Can anybody give me a viable reason Lincoln Riley would leave Oklahoma for USC? What is his goal at USC? To be what he already is at Oklahoma? You're just giving him what he wants, his clicks. You're giving him uh, audio clicks. I I, I can say I legitimately don't know who he is. I don't know who wrote that story. I just saw the headline. Yeah, same, same. But it it is one of those things, too, though, and it might be because it's just the third game of the year, and last week was kind of a uh, scrimmage-type feel as far as the, the performance on the field, but... I'm slightly interested to see if this OU team can flex itself a little bit, if they can flex muscle against a lesser opponent, because we certainly didn't see that uh, in the first game. And with a team that has expectations like this group did, you kind of want to start seeing that before you get into, uh, uh, and you're not going to see it in two weeks against against West Virginia, but you know the first true, what I would call a road test, going up to Manhattan, a place that, uh, or a team that they haven't played well against over the last two years, they need to start developing some type of identity, and I think that you can start doing that this week. Yeah, it's it's like when when I go to a game and go to see a player I haven't seen before. Usually, I don't have to guess who he is. And forget about size measurables. Like, sure, I know who the 6'8 offensive lineman is. But, like, even a corner that looks like there's three guys of similar size when I walk out there. Usually, when you walk out, you know who the dude is you're looking at because he walks like it, he talks like it, he acts like it. He's taped up from head to toe. He looks like a player. That's what Oklahoma needs to start looking like. Like They're the biggest, baddest dude on the block and start playing like it instead of, you know, we're just going to kind of tiptoe around this thing. Like, no, if you want to be the guy, go act like the guy. I, you know, it's, I think it's all great to talk about. And like I said, it's for the fans. I just think reality is going to, by about halftime, I think everybody's going to be like, well, that was fun having Nebraska back. But it's over. Isn't that kind of what they've just been arguing, though, for the last two weeks? It's like you would hope that maybe the fans can do it, but you would hope the no, locker the, room No, but the doesn't. fans can do it, yeah. I mean, it's the locker room sure. that can't do it. I mean, I do. I mean, 
I guess it's not going to, they had rain scheduled before, and I guess it's not going to rain now, but it should be decent outside. I mean, it, nothing like the first two Low games. Low 90s and yeah. end, middle of September? I mean, can't get much better than that. Not around here, at least. No, but you're right. I mean, the Tennessee comparison was perfect. I mean, people were jacked for that game. And I think you'll see a lot of Nebraska fans here kind of jacked just to, to be back in Norman and see the game. Uh, and there'll probably be Nebraska fans that come without tickets and might not even get tickets, but will be happy just to be outside the stadium. Not to mention the fact that, I mean, you know, depending on how scheduling goes and stuff like that, it's like, this probably be the last time. It's hard to believe that they haven't played in Norman since 2008, but this is probably the last time that Nebraska will come to Norman for, you know, the foreseeable future, the next 20-something years. Yeah, it's almost like Joe could just sit back and said, okay, I did that. I don't have to do it anymore. We don't have to no, worry about Nebraska. Give us the Army game. Give us the trip to West Point. <laughs> yeah, that was the worst part about last year, losing that game. So. I agreed. I would. I I was planning to be there for that one. I was excited. Josh, what did you uh, not not to backtrack too much? But what did you think about the performance against Western Carolina? Not necessarily the the team performance, but there were some better moments for some guys that. Let's let's be honest. I mean, it was very disappointing to see how Spencer Rattler played against Tulane. Yeah, and you know, I um, I highlighted it in the in the idiot when I broke it down. That the touchdown throw he made to Mario Williams. That's one of the best throws he's ever made. Like, I mean, that was an unbelievable back shoulder. Just just and and like he knew what he was going to do. He read the corner. However, the corner played it. He was going to Mario Williams and. Mar, you know, he played him to where the, the corner had space back. So he just threw back shoulder. And I thought it was a really good sign of where their comfort is together. They, they clearly have a pretty good understanding. This is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. And it was just an absolute seed. I mean, that's a great throw. Uh, the guy, you know, obviously, you know, I could go on and on about Danny Stutzman. We, we all know my love affair there. But um, Ethan Downs played really well. And, you know, as a guy that I had questions about, I got to own that. But I, I thought he really had a nice day. Obviously, causing that fumble was just a, a pure hustle thing. Which I think, sure. you know, say what like, whatever doubts I had, even Downs' effort was never something I doubted. This is a kid that will play hard every single snap he's on the field, and that's uh, I'm sure a huge part of why the coaching staff loves him. Um, the guy that I really haven't heard mentioned much that I thought played really well was Cody Jackson. I thought Cody Jackson had some nice moments, showed a little burst a couple of times. Um, and really got out there a little earlier than I expected him to. So, I mean, he's clearly a guy they're, they're trying to work in. And, you know, that may be, um, you know, a, a response to the Theo Weiss situation. Um, but the bottom line is, I mean, that, that guy looked like a guy that could help you. So, uh, I thought at times his senior year, he struggled with drops and looked, you know, a little disinterested, but more and more that's becoming normal. It, you know, it's hard to judge during a guy's senior year just because, They've got so many things they're worrying about and thinking about that I, I think sometimes you don't get the whole body of their work um, after their junior season. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe I just saw him on off nights. It, it could be any of a lot of things. But I really liked him. And, I, again, I, I thought there were a lot of a good, young, you know, kind of youth being served performances. Kerry, it was a guy that you uh, asked Lincoln about after the game uh, last Saturday was and take out the opponent, take out whoever was on the field against him, but – the ability and just a mental factor, I think, in building confidence in a guy like a Jaden Hazelwood, 
that was big for him to find the end zone twice, to stiff arm a guy on the goal line and throw him down. I think that just small stuff like that, if he can just continue to get better each week, will be massive for him. And you know what? That was kind of, uh, that was how I knew that this week was going to be, you know, just a little bit different because even after the game, it was like Lincoln didn't want to give anybody too big a compliment. Sure. And it was just kind of like, okay, um, hmm, interesting. But yeah, I mean, you're uh, no, I, I thought the exact same thing. I mean, we all know what Jaden Hazelwood's been through. I mean, the fact that he essentially opted out of the bowl game last year when he had been cleared, uh, you know, and then he, you know, remember all that stuff showing up uh, when with him out there training at full speed. And I, I had been told that even some of the coaches on the coaching staff were concerned, like that this thing was going to go bad. Like, uh, and then, you know, he seemed to be back in the fold and we've talked to him a couple of times this year and he seems to be in a good, you know, good headspace. Uh, but I don't think it can be discounted what it means for him to go out there and have two touchdowns, uh, and be a productive football player. Uh, and it does seem like Spencer Rattler, you know, even in the first game, I think he had like six targets and five catches. So Spencer Rattler's looking for him, which is, you know, half the battle. Uh, so if that continues, you know, I think you will be able to say, even though it was a 76 nothing blowout, that those were some meaningful uh, catches for Jaden Hazelwood last weekend. It will be interesting here moving forward, and I think that it's something that they're going to have to at least try and make some type of decision on before you get to the Cotton Bowl and maybe even before you get to Manhattan in a couple weeks. But the offensive line and the situation as, as far as what they're doing at center and what they're doing at left tackle is going to be really kind of intriguing over the next few weeks. Are they going to settle in on Andrew Raymond center? Are they going to continue to give Robert Conjol opportunities? And then obviously can Wanye Morris end up being the left tackle on this team? And the left tackle you, you, you want him there and what, what, what with Anton? I don't know. I mean, I think, I, I mean, it, it seems like they're still, I'm, I'm like asking, Tyrese Robinson's doing it right tackle. Are they not? Yeah, honestly. And I mean, I said it, uh, I think in the, I said it somewhere, maybe the idiot, maybe it was in the report card. He's been their most consistent lineman through two games. Now that said, and it, I know it's something, um, that Gabe said in their podcast as well. And I agree with him. If they're going to go, it's kind of like what you talk about with Swenson. If they're going to go and play the kind of teams they're going to have to play, I don't know if he holds up. I don't know sure. if he's got the length and the athleticism to mess with – like a guys, Will Anderson from Alabama is going to be coming from Spencer Adler's front side. If, you're play, if, you're, if you want to play it that far down the line in this season, I, Tyrese Robinson against that guy, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't so know if So you're thinking Wanye at right, and then you, I, you just hope that, that yep. Anton – Harrison continues to develop at left tackle. At that that to me, that's the only combination where this offense can go as far as it wants to go. Like I I don't see it any other way where that works. Now maybe I'm wrong. You know that's fine, but I just don't understand how that could how that could work any other way. Those are your two most high end players, and I thought Harrison was better against Western Carolina. We'll know more this week. Obviously, it's kind of hard to gauge how much improvement was actually made, but I thought he was better. Um, and I thought Wanye looked good when he was on the field. I mean, he had the, the holding call, but I, by and large, I thought he looked good. He looks really natural pulling, doing some of that GT stuff they like to do. Um, so I, I, I thought there was a lot of room for optimism with him, but I, but yeah, my bottom line is you've got to have those two. 
I think Hayes is your left guard. I think Rame is your center. And then right guard, how you pull Chris Murray off the field, I don't know. Because, like I said, Robinson's been your most consistent player. Chris Murray's probably been your best player. It continues to sound like as much as, as, as he continues to settle in in the starting role. I mean, you listen to somebody like Gabe Eichert that looks at the film yeah. and stuff, and it's like he could be an all-Big 12 type guy before it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, I think, unfortunately, this is still something that has to be figured out with better competition. I mean, sure. you yeah. just haven't played enough people to know exactly what you're going to get, either from Tyrese Robinson or Anton Harrison. And, you know, I've always kind of thought that the whole Wanye Morris thing was going to continue to develop. I mean, that was always my prediction. Like, eventually, you'll see him as a starting tackle. Uh, and, it, it, you know, they, they mentioned him enough this week, I thought, that made you think, like, he is starting to build some momentum there. And maybe, maybe, maybe Bill knows that, and this is just kind of his way of, you know, building him up and getting him ready to kind of take over that position when it really matters. Like, maybe he's known this should be our guy, sure, but he just hadn't been consistent enough. And for as much as you want to say about Nebraska, they at least have some big bodies on the defensive line that are going to at least give you a better idea of where that group is. Wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. And the, I mean, and the other thing is, you know, if you were hoping, and I, you know, I never thought that it'd be a factor in any way, but it is interesting that Lincoln Riley kind of talked in depth about Marcus Hicks uh, and, you know, him potentially being a guy next year that could be a difference maker for him, that he's progressing to the point it looks like, you know, and, and I've kind of, you know, heard from some of his family a little bit, but, I mean, it sounds like he's happy with the switch now and he's at ease with it, and it's just kind of getting through the, you know, getting back to healthy after the Achilles injury. Achilles. I mean, and again, it you got to remember who they played last week, but just seeing uh, somebody like a Savion Bird out there Physically, he looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Anton Harrison looks great physically. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at him, you're like, that's what an offensive lineman's supposed to look mm-hmm. like. He's just not playing that way yet. He kind of has that Bobby Evans vibe wearing 71 out there, doesn't he? He's just thick with two Cs. I like it. Um, okay, it is. Ooh, well, the got uncomfortable. No. Yeah. Uncomfortable for you, maybe. It felt good to me. Um <laughs> By the way, it is the first official recruiting weekend. We want to get to that, but we also want to remind you guys, our uh, good friends at Dead Soxie. Uh, Eddie, I know uh, they asked for addresses today, so uh, I think mm. everybody should be getting the new collection that just dropped last night. It's fantastic. Uh, and yes, I did come up with the idea for the uh, the 8-bit baker planting the flag. Um and it, it, I think that's been the sock that everybody has really been like, oh, I'm getting that. I mean, I think somebody said they ordered like three pairs of them. Uh, but they've got a whole new uh, OU collection, uh, a college collection. They've got uh, they've got uh, socks with the wagon. They've got socks with the schooner. They've got socks with, um, they, they just say it's, uh, Oklahoma. They've got a state, uh, a state uh a state. I mean, the state of Oklahoma on one of the socks, and then they've got the eight bit Baker Mayfield. Uh, and I can't wait to get those, even though I guess I could wear those to games and get away with it because nobody would really see. As long as I wasn't pretty short, they're pretty pants. sharp. Yeah, they're very cool. And it's and they they even got Oklahoma State stuff too. I know there's OSU fans that listen to this podcast. I'm pretty sure with promo code Boomer you can get them all. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that would work for Oklahoma State fans too. So uh, use that promo oh, code vicious. Boomer. Do you, I, do you, I mean, I think an OSU fan would want twenty five percent off. I, I agree, but like, could you imagine like trying making themselves type it in? You know, it's going to hurt their soul, <laughs> like a little bit. Hey, like, I agree. Just, just be like, send some up to Chad Weiberg up at OSU. He's going to get some as well. Just be like, uh, hey, honey, can you come in here and type in this little word for me so I can get twenty five percent off my socks? <laughs> don't let I, me see. Don't let me. Yeah, see. I don't want to do it myself. Uh, but if you do it, maybe I can justify it. Um, so yeah, uh, go to deadsoxy.com. Enter that promo code Boomer. I'll ask. I'll ask Michael for our OSU listeners if we can give an OSU code out uh, for twenty five percent off. Because as Josh said, we know that we have some OSU fans that listen, um, and I'll I'll see if I can work that out with Dead Soxy. But go check them out. Great supporters of the podcast. Always have been. Uh, longtime supporters uh, in the past and will be in the future. Uh, so check out that new collection. Go grab you some. Uh, and even uh, they even have other uh, crimson uh, socks that uh, sell in four packs. I think you can get a little bit of a deal on. Uh, and then, of course, Eddie and I are big fans of the no-show. So thanks to Dead Soxy. Go get that new collection uh, right now with that promo code BOOMER. All right, well, uh, big recruiting weekend. Josh is, uh, I know last weekend was, let's say, I tell you what, let's kind of review first before we get into this weekend, kind of some of the things that you posted on the site this week about the visits from last weekend. Yeah, you know, it ended up being um, a little bit of a surprising weekend. I said, you know, uh, I know Bob, <laughs> to his credit, and Bob, I, I hope he listens back to this, all week, like he kept kind of dropping the hint, like, we should have a list up. We should have a list up. And I kept being like, man, it's it's Western Carolina. There's not. It's just going to be like 10 commitments. And obviously, we knew about Gabe Dindy, but I really didn't expect there to be much to accompany that. But then, you know, Chris McClellan comes in. Uh, Devin Campbell, the five-star offensive lineman from Arlington Bowie, comes in, and you're like, "Well, okay, this is this is not a bad list." I mean, it's again, it's still largely what I'm talking about. Caden Green, the uh, the rivaled 2023 kid um, that that had some summer fame. Um, he, uh, you know, all of these guys came in, and from everything I've heard, it really went well. Like, I mean, very. Uh, you know, I know. Um, uh, Steve Wiltfong, a guy that, you know, works at 24-7, you know, we'll, we'll be honest, give him credit, guy does a great job, knows the national scene, uh, put in a, uh, for, uh, I guess, the, what do they call it? The uh, There's crystal ball. crystal ball, yeah. Yeah, for Dindy to Oklahoma, and I, I've heard nothing that changes that. Now, I've I've had mine in for a long time. Um, I, I felt good about OU's chances. Now, everybody got kind of worried when uh, the news came out that his family was going to move to College Station, and I honestly saw that as probably a net positive for Oklahoma, or it could be seen that way, because his family would be closer. I, I could understand a kid from Florida not going to Oklahoma because he wants to stay closer to home and he goes to Gainesville or he goes to Tallahassee or something like that. Like, I could kind of get there with that. But a family that was willing to watch him go to Oklahoma, which from from everything I had gathered to that point, they absolutely were, they're not. They're going to stop him from going to Oklahoma from College Station. I mean that that's a drive. That that that's nothing. So I, I just I I thought that was going to be maybe a little overplayed, and it kind of sounds like that's what's happened. Um, from everything I've gathered, they really hit it out of the park with his parents. Uh, actually, ended up doing a uh, a church um, kind of trip with with the family. I, and I still I still haven't worked out all the particulars on how that came to be, but. 
it was, it, you know, that that's something there, you know, obviously. Um, There's got to be some kind of a pre-existing relationship sure. slash religious, you know, uh, waiver or something that they had to have gotten or something. And, and I, it, well, I was told that they, there was cause to be there. Like, this wasn't something where OU went renegade or anything. Like that. There was a reason for that to happen, and I think it meant a lot to the Dindy family. Um, so th- this is... Um, uh, again, it's a race I feel better and better about where Oklahoma is. He's still talking about taking a trip to Texas A&M, maybe right around the beginning of the month, and then I think from there we'll pretty quickly make his decision. So it is, it's a little later than what I had had in my head by maybe a week or so, but it sounds like he's getting very close to a decision. I think has a pretty good idea at this point what he wants to do, but I, I think there's almost a, you know, let's give A&M one last chance. And I know OU fans don't want him to do that, but that's what it looks like. Um, and, I, I mean, I can go piece by piece, or if you guys have anything you want to ask about, we can cover it however you want to cover it. I would just say, too, from from what I was able to see down on the sidelines, I thought it was pretty funny that, you know, they're over there watching the pregame warm-ups. That's where they bring the recruits out. And you can kind of go and – each recruit kind of goes with his position group. So defensive line or the defensive backs or the running backs and the quarterbacks are kind of over in the south end zone area. But I thought it was funny. I look up at one point and the entire Dindy family sitting there and Tommy Harris is right next to him talking to him. <laughs> and Perrell Winfrey comes up and talks to him. Then Calvin Thibodeau comes up and talks to him. And mom's there. She has a, you know, like an OU jersey on. You saw the picture of dad in the in Lincoln's office with the OU tie. I mean, there's a lot of really positive things going there for OU. Yeah, and, and I think um, I'd have to look at it again, but I, I want to say Scoop talked about the the focus for Oklahoma this weekend, you know, and this was written on Friday coming in, was to make it clear what a priority he is for them. He is a absolute top of the list. I think if, if they had to pick one guy in the 2022 uh, class that they wanted to close with, I think Gabe Dindy might be that guy. I mean, there, there is that belief in what he could be and how well he fits their scheme all those things and you know and they they like him a lot as a human being they, they think he's a good kid that you know that, that can be built around so I, I think um that was a focal idea is they wanted to make it clear how important he was to them um the other the other big guy that i think oklahoma made a, a really positive move with was devin campbell the uh five-star offensive lineman like i said from arlington Bowie. Uh, a guy that I've heard Texas and LSU a lot, uh, really primarily Texas, but you kind of hear some LSU conversation. LSU may fix itself as far as Oklahoma's recruiting concerns go. If if LSU can't kind of figure out a way to get up off their feet or on their feet, I guess. Um, and you know, with Texas, it, not a bad night to be in Norman. He comes watching OU pummel Western Carolina, <laughs> and then checks out his you know his, his ESPN app or whatever it may be and sees, you know, Texas just getting housed by Arkansas. So I, probably a good, you know, uh, sequence of events there for him. But I, like I said, I talked to a few people, and I'm going to have some more on this in the scoop on Friday, but uh, there are people that think he's going to go to Oklahoma. Like, I mean, th- there are genuinely people that were around him this weekend that believe Oklahoma will be his choice. Now, it's a long way off, and he's a tough kid to read. I, if, if these people are reading it that well, hey, you know, hats off to them. But he is a he's a he's a pretty savvy kid. He doesn't say things he shouldn't say, and I uh, like I said we'll, we'll see. But I definitely feel much much better about Oklahoma's chances than I did a week ago. 
Did you see the, have you seen the videos of the guy uh, that does like film room stuff? Like a college coach, like replaying film to his players. Uh, are you talking about the guy that was watching the Texas game and yeah. he's got his hat? Yes, Before that's Before he did that, he did one about his GA uh, and told the team like he's he's a full-fledged coach and then he shows him tape from the previous year where that GA just got toasted left and right. And he was like, See the corner on the other side of the field? He's the NFL making millions of dollars. See this guy? He's your he's your he's your graduate assistant coach. Like it was just burning him left and right. But the Texas thing was hilarious. So I mean, he was like, didn't spend time in the weight room in the summer, getting carried around the field like by another grown man, you know, as he, as they just run in the end zone once again. I mean, I can't I'll, I wasn't I wasn't shocked that they got beat because that was the most Texas thing of all time. I think we talked about it on the U forty last week. But the way that that happened, my God. Yeah. Like association, just by association, I was embarrassed. For another I, team uh, to just dominate you physically like that, and that mm-hmm. team to be Arkansas, mm-hmm. well, couldn't believe it. Guys, what was interesting is how many guys that factored into that Arkansas scoreline were guys that Oklahoma either kind of passed on or like the Rocket Sanders kid who kind of put the nail in the coffin with that big run. He was a linebacker recruit that I know Brian Odom liked. Uh, obviously, A.J. Green's a kid that we all know from Union um, that Oklahoma really liked better as a corner. So there is um, there, there was some interesting Oklahoma connections going on in that game, even um, even between you know two schools they recruit against a ton. Man, I'm really trying to find this video. I'm sorry. Uh, Josh, just as far as uh, – any more to wrap up from last week, or do you want to move into this week, which, you know, I think they're rolling out another red carpet for uh, another in-state guy. I know Chris McClellan was somebody that you also hit on as well. Yeah, yeah, and he's really, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, Braxton Myers was there again. He's becoming almost a fixture at these games. I, I'm thinking about putting in a forecast for him, not because I've heard anything crazy, but just if you're in Norman every weekend, like, you know, if the doors are, it's kind of like, um, you know, the people you hear about, like, if the church is open, they were there kind of deal. If the doors are open, that's kind of what it feels like with Braxton Myers. Like, if Oklahoma's doors are open, he's coming through. So, uh, but Chris McClellan, a uh, little different story. Now, a guy that uh, has come down a few times, certainly hasn't been shut off to Oklahoma, but there's been so much Ohio State buzz, so much talk. And again, kind of like I said with Devin Campbell, not the worst weekend to be at Oklahoma where the defense is piling up tackles for losses. They're playing all over the field, and Ohio State's getting run over by Oregon. I mean, again, nice little confluence of events there. But um, with, with Chris, I, I, I've i talked to him a little bit. I, I won't say that I've had a full-on conversation with him. Um, playing in the Seal Wasso here before long, so I can kind of iron that out a little bit. But um, he is a... I will say he was super impressed with the defensive line. He loved the way they were playing. He was talking about they look even more aggressive than last year. I really like the style they're playing with. So I think OU hit some right notes for him. But he is really, really kind of gotten a lot more, uh, I don't quiet, it's not the right word, but just he's very hesitant to say anything too far in either direction. But, I, I mean, to me, this is Ohio State-Oklahoma battle. I, we can talk about a lot of other schools, uh, Florida, USC. There's some others that I, he has interest in. But if it isn't Ohio State or Oklahoma, I'd be shocked. And this Ohio State defensive collapse that seems to be happening probably couldn't have come at a better time for OU if, if they're going to really make a run at Chris McClellan. Completely off topic. 
has it been a surprise just how quickly that thing's gone south up in Columbus? And I say that thing. It's not like the entire program's collapsing, but just the way that Oregon was able to move the ball last week was just shocking. Yeah, I um, I thought somebody brought up a good point that was basically Kerry Coombs has had a lot of opportunities to be a defensive coordinator, and he's just now getting that opportunity. There's probably a reason for that. Sure. And I thought that I, I hadn't really thought of it on those terms, but that makes some sense when you think about it. And it's just it's hard to imagine because, I mean, this is a guy with NFL coaching experience. This is a guy that, I mean, let's be honest, was is, is one of the best defensive backs coaches in the country. I mean, th- that guy has just churned out one elite dude after another. And, you know, unlike the defensive line where I think Ohio State gets a lot of credit for basically landing elite recruits and then turning them into elite players, which is exactly what should be happening, I mean, he's got guys like Denzel Ward was a three-star. Damon Arnett was a three-star. I mean, he's got guys in his past that were not the who's all, you know, end-all, be-all of recruits, and he helped develop them into big-time, you know, NFL draft picks. Now, you got Jeff Akuda. Jeff Akuda was everybody's All-American. So, I mean, there, there's, there's a balance to it, but I, I am. I mean, and you can't tell me it's personnel. I mean, Zach Harrison was a five-star. Uh, Haskell Garrett was a big-time guy that OU recruited really hard. Uh, th- there, are, there are a lot of guys on that defense that, I mean, 118 or 119 teams around college football would kill to have. I saw a pretty good representation of what Oregon was coming into Ohio State. There's this kid that's running around a yard on TikTok, and his mom calls out to him. And let me see what you have. No! I love that. T- I love that uh, gift me, whatever running you want to call around the video. a pool with a knife. Yeah, kids running around the backyard, <laughs> and it's it's pretty perfect that there's a uh, above ground pool in the in the picture yes, as well. Yes. But <laughs> what do you have it, in your hand? A knife. So good. Uh, and let me see what you have. A knife. No. That's a good thing you had girls, Josh. Uh, you would absolutely have a kid running around with a knife. One hundred percent. Because I was a mellow kid, and I think every mellow dad gets a crazy kid. Because my dad was crazy and got mellow me. So I think the balance would have been truly ugly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought I wanted boys, but now that I have girls, I'm like, I am a okay with that. That is, that is a, I will live with paying for that wedding because I don't have to pay for like 27 hospital bills in their childhood. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of hospital visits growing up from my brother, mainly bats to the head a lot. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of answers in that Carrie. I mean, I'm not going to go for the obvious dad jokes, but, uh, Yeah. There, um, there are things there. Uh, so, no, I only had one. This coming up weekend, uh, I guess we can move on to that. Um, sure. Uh, now, the big name, I mean, this was going to be a big weekend from the beginning, and that's why everybody was so pissed off about the 11 a.m. start. Uh, but it still remains big? Question mark? Yeah, it, it, it should be a big weekend. I mean, you know, when you've got two five-stars and three members of the Rivals 100 among your official visitor list, that's pretty good. I mean, that, that's a good start. Um, you know, for those who, you know, kind of ask who those people are, obviously Relik Brown is taking – he's finally taking his official visit after coming out to OU a couple of times unofficially. 
Um, you got Cam Dewberry, the big offensive lineman from uh, North Houston area, Tascacita High School. And Gentry Williams, the, uh, you know, my number one guy in the state, uh, cornerback offer from Booker T. Washington that, you know, I said earlier, I thought Dindy was the top of the list. I don't think it would take long to get to Gentry Williams on whatever role you'd be calling there. I mean, Gentry Williams, in-state guy at a position of need, um, at a position where they're trying to cement, I mean, that they put in elite guys. Now, I mean, you talk about a couple years of corner maybe with, with Gentry Williams and Latrell McCutcheon playing across from each other, that that's all right. You you could find a way to make that work. Those are those are two corners of a talent level that OU has rarely had. And even even in the two thousands when they were playing great defense, they didn't have corners like that. I mean, that, that, that played with that level of athleticism. So, um, you know, you start there again. Relique Brown, uh, you, you've got to think OU's in better shape than ever with him, with all that's gone on at USC this week. Um, and then with with Cam Dewberry. Um, it, kind of an interesting story. It's kind of worked out nicely for Oklahoma. He had planned to go to this visit for quite a while, and I don't know if he always knew how well it was going to work out, but they're actually playing at Denton Geyer this weekend. They're going to be you know, way up in, in North, uh, North Texas, and his family is literally just going to leave from the stadium and drive up 35 and go up to Oklahoma for their official visit. So, it, it you know rather than a kid playing his game on Friday night and he doesn't get in until whenever on Saturday morning, he's going to be there bright and early Saturday morning and ready to go. So Oklahoma really will get a solid couple of days to host him and show him around and not have to worry about getting him in during the pregame for Nebraska and all that stuff. But it should I, be added too that Relique Brown and Modern Day they're off this weekend, so they don't have a game. That that is correct. Yeah, so they are, um, uh, you know. Relique is the, and coming off a huge week last week, dropped four touchdowns on Liberty in Nevada, which is a really good program. Everybody kind of knows Gorman, but Liberty's a very good program of their own. And it almost unfortunately, you had a, 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 a like a week game weekend kind of deal where Modern Day and Gorman didn't meet up, but they played two teams and then just beat the crap out of the other two teams. So, um, but yeah, Relique, you know, have he's off to a huge year now. I, I can hear the argument. I know people will instantly kind of ask, well, you know, what happens when USC hires whoever it may be? Well, I said this well, in the, the war room. Are... I said this in the war room. Like, there's only one hire that really uh, would worry me, and that would be if uh, Eric Bieniemy ended up getting that job, and then he can go to USC and say, well, you know, I did coach Tyreek Hill uh, yep. in, in the NFL, and, and you have a very similar skill set. But at the same time, I don't think that that could even happen, could it? I mean, like, Bienemy's going to have to coach out the season with the Chiefs before he takes another job. Exactly. I mean, he's he's just too focal, and that's going to, like, don't get me wrong, they could announce him, but I can't think of any time when that sort of deal has happened when a coach was announced before, what, Christmas, New Year's? I mean, like, it just doesn't happen like that. So I don't know how that would work, and if Oklahoma's going to, you know, I'm sure they'll try to get Relief to sign in the early period, and I know he's talked about maybe or maybe not doing that. I think that's something he's gone back and forth a little bit on. But obviously they'll want him to, and if they can get him to do so, then the enemy's hiring is almost moot. I mean, it, it almost right. wouldn't, or, or whoever, is it, it, probably just not going to matter. But, I mean, that that you're right. That is a scenario where USC might actually have the ammunition. Now, based on all things that we've seen USC do for the last, you know, 10 years 
they'll hire the exact wrong person and it's not going to matter, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Does the, the, if the coaching change is a good thing for leak and kind of settling the waters there, could the same be said for Gentry Williams and his recruitment by USC? Or is it a little bit different considering his main recruiter is now the interim coach and, uh, uh, what's it? Dante Williams. Is that his name? Yeah, that's his name. And he is a outstanding recruiter. I mean, anybody that doesn't know him, um, you know, is, is probably and you know, no offense intended, just not that familiar with West Coast recruiting. Dante Williams is very good. Landed, brought a lot of those elite Southern California guys to Oregon, which makes up a good chunk of, you know, some of Oregon's most standout players right now. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin Flo, uh, you know, you run down that list. So he, he's a, Big time recruiter has definitely um, made Gentry Williams' recruitment more interesting than I, I than I think it was ever going to be. But at the same time, Gentry is a smart enough kid that he knows that. Uh, and, and I mean, and this is no flaw of Dante Williams. He's he's doing his best to keep his job and do the things uh, that are best for USC. You know, and probably in hopes that he can be a maybe a defensive coordinator or whatever under the next regime. But he, he's got to make promises he just can't keep. I mean, there's no way he's, you know, people say, well, you make Dante Williams and you, you just tell the next coach he's going to be on your staff. Okay, that's going to limit who you can hire. If you come in and from day one are telling the new head coach he can only, he has to take this guy, that's going to cause problems. Like there's just, even if the coach respects him and thinks he's good and and maybe would keep him under normal circumstances. When the higher ups start telling these guys what they can and can't do, it's it's just it's a recipe for disaster. So I just don't see that being possible. So Dante Williams has to talk to Gentry and has to either be very honest and say, "Hey man, we you know we want you here, we love you here, but you know we don't know the future." Or you go and say, "Hey." My plan is to be here. I, I'm going to try to be the head coach. I'm going to try to win every game, and maybe I'm the next head coach at USC, and you're the you know, guy playing both ways and kickoff return and all that, you know, whatever. He can make whatever promises he wants to. But I, I don't see any way that's good for USC. I, I just don't. Now, I know it makes some sense, but Gentry's just not that kind of kid to get caught up in that stuff too much, in my opinion. I just wonder with the UCL or the USC thing, if that doesn't kind of start a domino effect, like uh, does if things continue to go poorly at LSU, do they get rid of Orgeron here in the next month? Like, I, it just seems like it could start that domino effect where everybody wants to get in line, worried about December signings, uh, and and trying to find the next guy if they feel like this just isn't the answer. Well, Which would be interesting it, too, just as far as Gentry Williams relates, because I. I mean, unless I completely miss something, it seems like LSU is another school that's in the running there. And that's been all the talk is that nobody wants to make it like, you know, like you said here, if it was the enemy and they could find a way for him to be announced on November 1st or something, you know, so he could kind of get started down that road and building his staff of the future or whatever. I, it sounds like no one, and I mean, no one wants to make a move until they know what's going to happen at LSU because it sounds like there is a serious underswell of people who believe that Ed Orgeron is in huge trouble right now. Like there, there, there is a chance for a, um, oh, God, a uh, uh, Chiswick situation where, yeah, he won the national championship a couple of years ago, but it has gone so badly since then that they've just got to wash their hands. 
talking about the USC stuff, and I saw Bruce Feldman tweet this out this morning. It's amazing to me that UCLA or uh, USC is no longer in the top 20 programs that produce players on the opening weekend NFL rosters. You talk about serious lack of development over there. Well, just look around college football. Bryce Young, Southern California, starting in Alabama. DJ Uungale, uh, now I'm not going to say right. DJ at Clemson, yeah. He is Southern California guy from the two most premier programs in the state of California, St. John Bosco and Modern Day. Matt Corral at Ole Miss, Southern California kid. Uh, Spencer Rattler, I mean, not Southern California, but from an area that Arizona. you would expect USC to walk in and get who they want. And they they didn't really ever give Spencer a lot of attention. I think that was the one school that could have threatened Oklahoma and kind of like DeMarco Murray before them, kind of shuffled their feet and didn't didn't do what they needed to do. Shit, we don't even have to pick on USC. None of those guys ended up at the Pac-12. They all yeah. left the West Coast. Yep. Uh, like I said, you, again, you've got Kayvon Thibodeau at Oregon, Justin Flo at Oregon. You, you look around the country, there are elite Southern California guys all over the country, and they're not at USC. And that's, I, would ima- I would imagine, too, that Gentry Williams is hosted by Patrick Fields this weekend, too. Yeah, I, I'd say that's about a virtual lock, that that is his host, and um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be given every chance to make that visit as good as he can. Um, sure. that, that should be a um, – and, you know, for those who, you know, I, I think hear J- Patrick Field's name on the podcast just immediately go negative. This is not like, oh, yeah, they, they kind of know each other. They're from the same city. Pat and Gentry are friends. Like, they, they are – they're close. Oh. That should be good. And the thing to remember that's also interesting about this weekend, guys, they, uh, he will also be with um, Xavion Bryce – Robert mm-hmm. Spears Jennings, and those are guys mm-hmm. that were together at that last visit weekend in July, and I know that went really well. And that was kind of one of those things. I wrote a story afterward with Gentry where he felt like that, you know, that visit kind of changed some of his perception, some of his family's perception. And I know Robert will be working Gentry hard. Um, Xavion doesn't know him as well, but I mean, that you could have a big chunk of your DB class on campus on the same weekend. And I actually, and I just realized I need to add another guy to the uh, unofficial list. Jaden Rowe will be there. So again, you're talking about three Tulsa area DBs that could all be part of the same class uh, there this weekend. Now, Jaden won't be in all the same thing because he's unofficial, but they'll be around each other. And that's a big chance for Oklahoma to let some of the recruits do the work for them. It's really well, been it, interesting, it, too. He, Mike Atis is going to be there as well, his teammate from Booker T. Yeah, and it's been interesting watching. Uh, you can tell that, you know, it, it, I think Pat Fields has been on this since the beginning. Like, he celebrate. we've talked about this on the pod before, how much he celebrates kids from Tulsa sure. uh, just to, like, Instagram and stuff. But, like, then you see, like, Dom Alexander tweeting about these kids and their visits to OU. Like, there's a concerted effort, whether it's through – uh, OU, like Drew Hill or Andy Hansen or whatever, but a lot of these Tulsa guys are really working Tulsa kids a- about OU. I find that pretty interesting. It It's a chance to change that narrative, guys, because we know for so long Tulsa was a, was a tough spot for OU. They, you know, like at Union and Jinx, they did well. Booker T was a problem. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the outlying areas, Oklahoma at, just yeah. didn't have that relationship. If they only would have offered Josh Jacobs, they might have gotten him. Or at least recruited you know, him, right? <laughs> Not today, Lord. Not today. 
Get behind me, devil. Oh, damn it. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. That's PTSD. I'm new. It is kind of interesting, too, that like even though it is an 11 o'clock game, it's and Riley has talked about this before, just as far as like the pros and cons. And obviously that, you know, the six o'clock game last week was a perfect opportunity to get Malachi Nelson and, uh, you know, those guys in here from the West Coast. But at the same time, with the 11 o'clock kickoff, uh, they should have a bunch of time after the game and into Saturday evening to be able to spend with these guys. I'm Josh? sorry. I was, I, no, no. I, I was. I was, got a text message. I was looking at. I got caught looking. Uh, well, I'm sorry, Eddie. I know. <laughs> I know. I got caught. No, got I'm just caught. saying that. Like Lincoln's talked about this before, but you know, getting the the six o'clock kickoff is 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 very good mm-hmm. for the West Coast kids. They can get Malachi Nelson and his family into Dorman and stuff like that. But at the same time, an 11 a.m. game does offer plenty of time during the Saturday afternoon hours, during the Saturday evening hours to maybe spend more time than you would with uh, somebody that you wouldn't be able to if you had a late kickoff. Well, and, and again, it, it also it limits the visit list. I mean, you're not going to have as many guys for the exact reason you're talking about. Whether And, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, what's well, the West Coast thing? But, yeah, I mean, you also got to remember, like, Texas kids. They got their Saturday film. They've got all – there's a lot of reasons they won't be there. So, I mean, there's other – things beyond just like you know like the extent of the travel you're making so you get a little more time to spend with some of these guys you know you get to because again guys i mean cam dewberry and and eddie was there in dallas when we interviewed him and it was what almost a year to the day eddie of of that uh, unofficial trip he'd taken to oklahoma right before the pandemic started and you could see him he still lit up when he talked about it like that visit hit a lot of the right notes from him. It's the same visit weekend, and I know this will scar OU fans a little bit, but it's the same one when Bryce Foster all of a sudden became real for Oklahoma. Like there was a there was a chance and I you know I know people get upset about that. I have talked to people after that unofficial visit for Bryce Foster who will tell you flat out that at that point in time Bryce Foster was going to Oklahoma. Like that I mean and this is from family members. Like this is Josh, come this is on, not just man. nothing. Just let it I know. go. I know. No come no no no. That, it's come not that on, I'm just saying Josh. for some reason this that now weekend turned hit into right. an intervention. <laughs> no, that that weekend hit right and for what I and again I don't know what the particulars were. I don't know why that went so well, but Cam reiterated a lot of the same things. Like just Man, I just loved everything they laid out. I liked the attention to detail. They showed, you know, the, the players were, they, they just felt like they connected with the guys that were on campus. So there was a lot of that. So Cam finally making it back. And I, again, I admit that that's a big red flag to me that, that you could go that long and he's made other trips and you've not been to Oklahoma. That, that reads funny, but Cam will, Cam will call you on it. If you ask him a question that sounds, like you're dismissing Oklahoma's chances or anything along those lines, he will be like, I, I know, I know what you're saying. Oklahoma's right there with any school. Like he will correct it, even if you don't ask it directly. It, he hears it and he will, he won't like, I don't know, stand for it. I don't, I don't know how to say it, but there is, there's a real chance here. And I know people at A&M think Oklahoma is their biggest threat. I know how Ohio State's been talked about a lot. And don't get me wrong, it could end up being Ohio State, but. I, there are people around the A&M program that think Oklahoma is their biggest threat on Cam Dewberry. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's been weird that it's been in and out of communication, it seems like. And like, and maybe that's just, you know, kind of on us a little bit for not checking in more or whatever, but it just didn't seem like there was reason to for the longest time. Uh, again, um, 
I was not. Uh, I mean, this this is you know people like oh Josh is selling us something. I had no plan to see Cam Dewberry play a game this season, based on two conversations I had right before the year when I talked to a couple A and M sources. I literally went to his first game of the year. That's how much it changed my course and thinking on Cam Dewberry. Now, if you're asking me, I'm still picking A and M. That's still what I think is going to happen there. But I think it's a it's a, a not I think it is a lot closer than I thought it was. So right now it's basically you're following his recruitment to not get caught with your pants down is what you're saying. Nobody wants to see me with my pants down, so I am just trying my well, you best. You do have two children, so somebody. Did. Yeah, well, so, somebody made that grave mistake, um, and has you know paid for it for the last seven years. So um, it is. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm sidetracked now. But yeah, I mean, th- there are easily sidetracked today. Yeah, uh, that's not not untrue. Uh, but no, the um, but like I said, with Cam, th- there's a chance. I-, I know people are like, it's either yes or no, and it's not that. It's in the middle. Like it's it's possible. But Oklahoma needs to hit it out of the park this weekend. And I, you know, I'm not even going to get into it. After last year, after the whole. Uh, Tristan Lee thing and Bryce Foster and all, everyone got their hopes so about that O-line class. And then just ended up with Savion Bird, who all you hear is really, really good stuff about his potential. Um, you, you end up with that. I know people don't want to get their hopes up, but in one pod, we're talking about them trending in the right direction with two different five stars. We'll see what happens. I'm not making any promises, but Oklahoma is making a run at those guys. All right, um, Josh. You did see. Speaking of five stars, you did see some a five star that is committed in the twenty twenty three class just this past week, last seven days. Uh, you made a trip down to uh, the Sunshine State to see uh, uh, Brandon Ennis. It seemed like he didn't do it. It was kind of like we had similar trips. Uh, Bob and I went up and saw Jaden Rowe. We didn't see a whole lot, but sometimes that's kind of a good thing. That means that they're really, really good. Well, that was a couple Almost weeks being ago. We game planned about- out of out of stuff. We talked about Ennis last week, didn't we? I thought oh, we, we covered that. Yeah, I thought yeah we that did. was two weeks ago. This last week, I went and saw Jalen Hale and Jordan Renault. No, no, Strike you're fine. That from the record. Well, uh, until you went with commitment, I was with you because I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jalen Hale's a borderline five star. Jordan Renault, he's a borderline five star. A couple of offers that I know OU is really high on. Um, and I still need to transcribe the interview, which is sad because as quiet as Jalen Hale is. Great. Yes. Yeah. I, Looking at him, Eddie, on video, do you get the Ronnie Perkins feel? Like, he looks like Ronnie Perkins to me. Like, his body type, everything about him looks like Ronnie to me. Now, I'm wondering if it's the number nine. That's the one thing I was like, oh, I wonder if I'm getting caught up in that. He almost looked like a a bigger, more well-put-together, and I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but I almost thought, uh, what was the kid's name from Santa Fe a couple, uh, maybe a decade Ago, uh, Michael Anawa. Uh, oh an, yeah, an, Anoha. Anoha. Yeah. Anoha. Like, but a much better, much bigger built kid. Uh, yeah, there, there's some of that. He he's not quite as long, but I get what you're saying. Like a little more filled out, but kind of similar. Now I, mean, I will say for anybody it around in the NFL, I, he was on practice yeah. squads, but he still made it. Yeah, I mean, went farther than a, a lot of OU D linemen of that generation. Um, Jackson. What? Wow. Uh, what I will say is um, for those people screaming at the radio right now, they're like, Ronnie Perkins was number seven. 
Ronnie Perkins was number nine in high school. You probably don't remember that. That's the obscure shit you listen to me for. That's the <laughs> stupid stuff I know. So at uh, Lutheran North in St. Louis, Missouri, he was number nine. So anyway, but yeah, I, I liked him a ton. I, a lot of activity. His problems right now are more technical. At times, he'll play a little high. They'll get underneath him. But it's crazy because, like, you'd see him give a few yards, and you think, oh, he's out of this play. Little little guard got underneath his shoulder or something. But he's so slippery and so quick, he just kind of evade it and then end up making a tackle at the line of scrimmage. Like, it may not look sexy on the stat sheet because it's not a TFL or anything, but he would still make the basic play. He just kind of started in the wrong direction. So, I mean, and I'm not saying that's every snap, but it happened a couple times. So it's just something for him to work on. Jalen Hale, that dude is just silky, like just smooth. I mean, it's all easy. And he's one of those guys that you're like, he doesn't look like he's moving that fast. And then you realize you're out in East Texas at a Tyler High School game, and there are athletes on this field, and he's running away from all of them. And you're kind of like, okay, that, that dude's just real, real good. Um he reminds me of someone, and I still haven't been able to put my finger on who it is. Like there is, um, there's something about his game that is familiar, and I just can't quite place it. But he is a no doubt five star type contender. I think he's number twenty eight in the country right now on Rivals. So I mean, if the if the class ended right now, he would be a five star when we're usually about thirty to thirty two. Um, so big time guy. Talked to him after the game. Like I said, still need to transcribe his interview, which is sad. Because Jalen is such a quiet kid, it probably will take me three minutes to transcribe. I just have to sit down and actually do it. Um, but first school out of his mouth was Oklahoma. He's gonna go. He wants to take a visit up there. He's got a lot of plans as far as wanting to go to OU, A and M, Texas, uh, LSU, Florida. Uh, I think he mentioned Alabama as well. So I mean, he's wanting to do a lot. I don't know that he'll get all that done, but it was pretty clear that he and Kale Gundy have a very good relationship. Really, really likes how, I mean, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody on this podcast, very direct, very honest Kale Gundy is, and that resonates with him. And so, like I said, I, I think there is, um, there's already a lot of positivity with Jalen Hale. I kind of wanted to see where things had gone since Makai Lemon, since Brandon Ennis, and it doesn't sound like OU's gone anywhere with him. I think we're out of questions for you. Okay. Time for the good stuff. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> I really don't have any good stuff today. <laughs> Josh, no, you tweeted something uh, earlier this week, and we were talking about the 2000 game. So were you, you were a freshman in 2000? Yeah, that, that was my freshman year at OU. I was in uh, McSpadden bad, over in the, in the quad. Not a bad year to be down there. No, that was a, a truly magical year. I have, I have, I've probably told all the best stories on the pod. I mean, the... Uh, the K-State game, watching Nate Hibble roll off to the wrong side from the student section, that was that was a wild reality. And I was extremely inebriated at that game. So there was a possibility for a moment that I was like, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. But then, you know, you close one eye and you're like, no, no, I had it right. He, he, he went to the wrong sideline. But, yeah, the, the Nebraska game that year was incredible. I, I won't lie, as a broke college student, I, I sold my ticket so that, you know, I could pay for my uh, my alcohol fund for however long. Um but no, it was it was a great time. That that was a that was an amazing year. The whole um, you know, I remember like I again I was at the the quad right there off of um of Lindsay and you could hear I remember listening from my room, I think I was studying for a final or something, and listening to Patrick Fletcher give his like celebration speech 
over, you know, over at the stadium, you know, when they had everybody over there. I didn't go yeah. over there for it because, like I said, I had a no. What was it? Was it the Big Twelve celebration? What was I there for? It doesn't matter. But I well, remember came, him they giving came that back speech. When they had that thing and yeah. they stood up on like the south side of the mm-hmm. end zone there. Yep, yep. that was after that's the exactly what it was. Yeah, you're right. So it wouldn't have been a final. I don't remember why. It might have been because it was cold. But either way, uh, I you know, I, I that that really was. It was an amazing year, and you you do, and you kind of like I talk to OU fans. You know, sometimes like you guys are being ridiculous. You expect too much. I remember as a freshman, like, oh, this is what you do. You just come here, and they go win national championships. Now, like I said, I I grew up around that. I knew that wasn't the norm. Sure. But, I mean, not a bad four-year run. I mean, 2003, I mean, they, they won a lot of games. Yeah. You saw a lot of great players in that era. It's crazy to look back at. I, I've rewatched a little bit of the 2000 game. I've watched the 71 game, which uh, the, the, the feature that they're going to have with Toby Rowland and Barry Switzer and uh, Tom Osborne, I think it's on 4.30 on Thursday on Bally Sports. is going to be really cool. And kind of a look back at the 71 game. But just seeing, like, the stadium and what it was, like, I – so used to seeing like the east side stadium or the east side of the stands built up with the upper deck that even the south end zone and like the renovations that that went through from 2000 to you know what it is in modern day it's just it's kind of crazy you forget about that stuff and like even like the uh the uh yard marker or the yard lines like painted on the sides of the uh of the stadium of like the uh i don't even know what that would be called like the, on the separator wall. from the stands yeah, to the, the field the wall like mm-hmm. it's just i forget about all that kind of stuff so it's cool to go back and watch that and obviously, you know, read the stories, whether it be, uh, I thought Jake Trotter's thing with the top 20 uh, OU Nebraska games was pretty cool. Seeing all the stats coming out of it. It's just been, it's been a, it's been a really fun week. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, um, but it used to be that uh, OU and Nebraska had the exact same scoreboards in their stadiums, like exactly the same. They were made by the same company, shaped exactly the same, same size. It was weird. There weren't. I know there weren't a lot of scoreboard companies back in the day, so I'm sure they had a one well, size I'm, fits all. I'm sure that it was a, a regionally based company, wasn't it? Yeah, you can't really sure. necessarily transport that thing across the country back in the day, like probably like you know, you probably or something like that. Sure, that was a big company. No, you guys had you had the life, man. I got to go to school for John Blake and Howard Schnellenberger. That was my sister. She she kind of hated like hates the comparison that she was there from like ninety three to ninety six somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and yeah, like just the worst run of of OU football in history. And every year we thought we were going to win every game when the when the season started. We we convinced ourselves there wasn't a game that we can't win on this schedule. <laughs> Can you imagine? Lincoln Riley being like, "Okay, guys, it's the start of fall camp. We're going to change the whole offense. We're we're just we're going to redo the whole thing. We're going to rebuild this, and this is going to be great. We're we're going to win a national championship. Oh, trust me, the, this year the red and Brandon white Daniels game was born to run the wishbone. That red and white game <laughs> that year was all kinds of craziness. Like, <laughs> and I I was smart enough to know like they're doing this against like the Washington High School third team right now. Like, this is not going to be good." And it was like select a seat day as well. So it was like going to a minor league baseball game <laughs> with the promotions bring, department. Bring you your know. dog. Yes. It literally, it would have been better if it would if bring your dog, you know, day would have been a thing back then. So, 
All right, well, I guess we'll get this puppy up since everybody is uh, clamoring for it. But, yeah, I mean, we're probably, we've probably learned through the first couple of weeks that Thursdays are the best day for the pod. I will tell you guys this. We have a new major feature coming to the site this week, um, and you're going to be very excited about it. I'll just leave it at that. I know what it is. I'm pretty excited about it myself. Did I tell you? Oh, yeah, okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. People are like, Carrie doesn't tell Josh shit. No, that's not true at all. Uh, no. <laughs> Josh had to sign off on it, too. So, Which he never really did, but I never really gave him the chance to do that. So, I, I, I don't... That, that was, it's just one of those things that I don't think we had to have a... Like, there are things where I'm like, Carrie, I don't know about that. This one, I was like, yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's let's get let's get that done. That's how big it is. So uh, we will uh, have more information on that. I keep teasing that, and people are getting mad at me for not telling them what it is. So uh, yeah, maybe today, maybe by the time you listen to this pod, you'll know what we're talking about. So uh, anyway, we'll be back again next week. And Josh, here's a formal invitation: eleven a.m. game. You are welcome to join Eddie and I on the Eskridge Lexus post game pod. I. It might be possible this week because I'm not going anywhere on Thursday night. Uh, I'm staying in the state of Texas on Friday night. I, I might not ab- I might not upset my whole family to the point that I couldn't be part of it on Saturday. So just let's, take it uh, easy on the whiskey. You know, it's 11 a.m. start. Just pace yourself. The, I think the people demand that I don't do that. So uh, that is better. Pe- the people want to hear a slur, Josh. A, a, it's, it's a little better with whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially uh, after losses, but and guys, had I don't know that you guys get enough credit recording that. At what what time did you guys start that last week? Two thirty? No, we finished right. No, about we got done at like two thirty. It was yeah. like one. Okay, Oof. it was like one. That's that, that, that's which is too bad. Right there. It I, resulted we'll be doing in it again next week with the West Virginia game kicking off at six thirty. Oof. Uh, I, I I still think, and I know you guys dealt with it a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of years ago with the UCLA game, but I was just thinking about like if Oklahoma had gone to the Pac-12, where you're the worst, it's the worst like best decision or idea that I've ever had. Just <laughs> thinking that that was going to be something that we would want to do. Well, if we knew we were going to get shot at leaving the stadium, we probably would have, you know, got out of there faster. Nate Fagan texted me on like Wednesday or Thursday. It was the one year in, or the two year anniversary of that. And that's Pasadena. That's like the safest place in Los Angeles. I know. Well, it was all the stadium workers that were shooting at each other. Well, obviously. They bust them in, you know. This I did not know. Well, I mean, they're not living in those houses in Pasadena. Those houses are ridiculous. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. You're not cleaning a stadium at the end of the game if you live in Pasadena, most likely. Yes. Matt R., is this racist? Uh, <laughs> we didn't segment. say what color the shooter was. I mean, come on. Oh, I'm just, classes so you were saying is what it is. It's, it's classes. Well, it's socioeconomicisms. I don't know what yes. that would be. Good. No. Yeah, that's what you get when you go to Los Angeles. Hey, big shout out to the OU golf program, too. They won on, uh, I guess that would have been Wednesday, the Merido. Big deal in collegiate golf in the fall. Very nice. Ryan Hibble, 30th win all-time at OU, 17th Man. victory since uh, 2017 for the OU golf program. They're a very, very healthy, very healthy program. He's done We've covered job. all the Hibble family and they in this beat, podcast. And they beat That's Texas, exciting. which was awesome. Did we cover Nate? 
Yeah, I mentioned Nate at the Kansas State game. We went to the wrong sideline. I mean, oh, okay. me yeah, being yeah, yeah. drunkenly confused about it. God, he got the shit beat out of him in that game. That was, that was brutal. That was one of the most impressive things. Because remember, the next week, they played Texas, and he couldn't finish the game because he was so beat up. And that's when Jason that, that White was the, came to life. Al Eshbach, a star is born. Uh, I'm, I was going to say something about comparing him to Landry Jones, but I'm going to let that go. All right. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, Dead Soxy, new collection dropped last night. Go check that out. Promo code BOOMER. Uh, 25% off. Thanks to them for sponsoring the pod, as always. Uh, and we'll be back next week for another edition, post-Nebraska, of the unofficial 40 podcast from Soonerscoop.com.